0: Hello, it's Jack Tutor here of Attention Magazine. Welcome to Crucial Listening, the podcast where I speak with musicians and sound artists about three albums that are important to them. My guest this time is Zosa Cole, a saxophonist based in Birmingham, UK. Zosa's new album, Ibeji, is out now on Stony Lane Records. It's an absolute favourite. It features seven eminent percussionists of African descent in collaboration with Zoza and also in conversation and interview with these clips interspersed amongst the music. The whole thing has such a wonderful flow. You feel the music being imbued with the significance that's stretched up through the conversations. It has this exploratory questioning spirit. Certain themes arise again and again the album title of actually means twins in the Yoruba religion of the Yoruba people and the idea of obviously duets, but double consciousness. Also heritage, uh, the history of jazz and education, improvisation, all of these things come to the surface throughout this album and Zoza allows you as the listener to have some agency in pulling significance out of these open-ended gestures. It's amazing. And the conversation was fabulous too. After enjoying this record so much, and um, as I mentioned in this conversation, recommending it all over the place to people, I had the best time chatting with Zoza. So you can check out that new album on Bandcamp. I'll pop a link in the show notes. And if you're enjoying the podcast, as always, you can support it over at ko fi.com forward slash crucial listening where you can donate one-off or monthly any amount you please to help keep the podcast ticking. Thank you for your support as always. Really hope you enjoy this conversation with Zoza Cole on Crucial Listening. welcome to crucial listening
1: brilliant thanks for having me man looking forward to chatting
0: yeah thanks for coming on so you're here to talk about three important albums before we get stuck Uh into those i want to talk about your new record ibeji on stony lane records which centers on duos with seven percussionists of african descent including interviews with them too it's such a satisfying crisp concept to listen to so i wanted to start out by asking how did you arrive at that concept for the record
1: uh well thank you for your kind words firstly and as i say thank you for having me and you'll have to deal with my kind of seasonal allergies or whatever this situation That's is with my nostrils fun. right now <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we'll try and work through it um yeah it was i mean i've had a i've always had an it, it's funny i was reading um marina abramovich's book the performance artist's and uh, there was one point in the, in the book where she was talking about one of the people that she encountered who only considered real conversations, or, or there's a special thing that happens in a dialogal conversation between two people as opposed to three, four, you know, group conversations and stuff. And one of the beautiful things about jazz music um, and so much African diasporic, pretty much all African diasporic music, is that idea of collective consciousness and playing in an ensemble. However, I kind of agree with the person in Marina's um, book. I can't remember who, who who what she was connecting with, but there is something very, very special that happens um, in duo contexts uh, when you're playing just yourself and another instrument. And for me, I always find a special joy and a special connection uh, when it comes to playing improvised music specifically with with drummers and percussionists. For many reasons and many that are kind of implicitly clear on the record, you know, drummers are some of the custodians of, of, of great um, African diasporic art forms hmm. um, and musical, um, you know, musical and cultural lineages and, and they kind of uh, in many ways the kind of truth tellers that don't often get to or aren't often oftentimes necessarily in front of the mic maybe for practical reasons because you know band leaders tend to be saxophonists pianists uh, such like and stuff so but i know that some of the most enriching conversations that i've ever had have been with percussionists and, and really the impetus to start the album was to continue those conversations it, it came out of a scheme That was really, I managed to get um, a little bit of financial support during the lockdown, and I ended up uh, spending it on mentoring sessions with these seven percussionists with the idea of recording these duos at the end of the project and and really it was going to be around you know those seven tracks but I found that the content of the input that I was getting and and the richness of the richness of the content and, and how much the content was really shaping my perspective on my relationship to my identity and how my identity relates to my music and how that relates to my culture and heritage and and all these interwoven uh, kind of webs of, of reality, you know, the, the, the conversations were really informing these things. And I thought, you know, it'd be a great idea to bring those conversations to, onto the record you know and to be able to connect uh listeners with a bit with lots of very very seriously deep insights i, I hope to think and i already know that for myself you know the album has been a journey, and I, and I and I strongly believe that you know when I come to listen to the album again in five ten years time, different layers of meaning will be kind of unveiled to me as my consciousness changes and my understanding of concepts uh, grows and develops and is refined. So it's really on on that level. I think it's timeless, and and for me, I'm I'm humbled by the fact that really this is an album about collaboration, but really that features these seven amazing musicians and also um that those seven musicians then um through the narrative not formed but through the narrative that has grown organically through the record they shed light on a much bigger picture which is the story of of my people of the story of people of african descent and some of the similarities and differences between our experiences on different parts of the globe basically you know but it was a bit of a a mammoth kind of task because you're talking about mm. i think we had about 12 hours maybe of music and maybe 20 hours or something crazy like that worth of um interviews and stuff distilled oh, down into 70 well. something minutes something you know ridiculous like that so it's really been a uh an undertaking and and you can imagine the director's cut you know what i mean it's like <laughs> there's a lot a lot a lot of information to work into it you know but um, hopefully, all that information tr- uh, kind of translates in kind of an intuitive way, or in a, in a subtle way, you know. So,
2: <laughs> and
0: the recording sessions for the tracks. Actually, I wanted to ask because you mentioned that it sounds like from the ordering of events that you've described there, yeah. the conversations took place first, and then the recordings, kind of as a culmination of that process of mm-hmm. dialogue. Is that correct?
1: The conversations were first. Mm-hmm. Um the conversations between me and and the seven percussionists um and then we recorded after that and then I had kind of heard the concept of putting the the text with the with the tracks I'd tried it with the first track or the last track on the album um Ibeji by lekka and putting he had a little i had a little conversation with him where he talked about the origins of the tune and the translation of the words, and we kind of put that to the music as a little introduction. And then it kind of just expanded from there and it was kind of like, wow, we've got a big undertaking here because we've got a lot of music and a lot of... And then, so I then went and, and had one more conversation with all of the percussionists. Basically, some some uh, IG live, for example, by Jason Brown was actually sourced from one of the Instagram lives that he had been doing um, oh, wow. a lot over the over the lockdown period. And I have to accredit the Ife Yoruba Contemporary Arts Trust for the conversations with Lekan that were a series of lectures that they had produced over the lockdown period. So uh, the majority of them were interviews kind of or just conversations, maybe less than interviews and then a few of them were sourced from from different means and stuff. But then it was a case of lining the music up with the lyrics, you know, and uh, with the words. Oh. And, and it was one of those spooky experiences where, of, of course, you know, the nature of language is that it's rhythmic, you know, and, and different accents have their different intonation and different rhythms. But just how cleanly they aligned with the the music you know we were just experimenting Mm. because we just had a lot of recorded content some improvisations we said let's try that with that let's try that with that and it was like some really 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 magical moments but i should also say that you know this is this album is part of a lineage of of great duo things between saxophone and um and drums there's a great Mm. uh, billy higgins and charles lloyd record uh which ways east and then there's a Jerry redman and ed blackwell Record that I was recently hip to Jackie McLean um, and Miller. Oh, I'll have to double check this one Antiquities. And then, of course, you know, we, we know John Coltrane playing with Elvin so many times they kind of ended up playing in a duo mm-hmm. vibe. It's such an electric kind of sound, you know what I mean? That is, that is, that has always, it's always stimulated, stimulated my. Kind of imagination. Michael Carvin, Antiquity by Jack- Jackie McLean and Michael Carvin. Nice. Uh, nice.
0: So, yeah. 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 We've had Interstellar Space twice picked on this podcast yeah. actually before. So, yeah. yeah. That speaks to its potency as well, I guess. I'm curious as well. This probably isn't a nice, tidy thing you can answer, but about how you went about selecting the people that you wanted to work with as well on this record. <laughs> I mean, from the information I know already, it sounds like there's. Probably a multitude of personal reasons in the mix, there, but oh, they're, yeah, all, me. All, they're
1: all personal reasons, yeah. I mean, mm. they're essentially the impetus was, um, you know, as a collaborating musician, I often get the chance to work with a big range of amazing musical identities and people who are playing in different styles and stuff. And it's always the drummers or percussionists I want to hang out with in the breaks and I want to pick their <laughs> brains. But at the end of the day, a lunch break is a lunch break, you know what I mean? And if you're the kind of the the sweat that you know the sweat kid who's just like trying to rinse people for another lesson in the in the break that's kind of a bit <laughs> hardcore sometimes so this was a way of kind of legitimizing that internal kind of drive to want to know more
2: nice. um
1: and and as i say so many of the percussionists i would have worked on on projects or i knew so i worked with my brother he was one and, and it's just a great chance to work together you know what i mean that's what it felt like it was like right We've I've got some dash, let's do what we want to do. you know what I mean, let's make this happen in a way that can can that we can do it, you know what I mean, and not feel kind of constrained by time and stuff because we've actually got the support, especially in the time of like COVID and lockdown, you know, for freelancers where there wasn't the same amount of work. you know, this was a great way of kind of harnessing that creative energy. In that time, and, and 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 so basically, you know, there's, I wouldn't call it a selection process because it wasn't the it, the list is infinite, kind of a mm. percussionist I would love to work with, but it was just seven people who were really close to my heart, who are really close to my heart, and who I want to spend more, ha- have wanted to spend more time, and feel blessed to have spent more time with, you know.
0: And your brother easy Cole, as you say, features on this too, and yeah, I understand you've played. With them previously, I wondered if there was anything particularly different about playing with them in the context of this record.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, well, this record was the first time we've played together where there was no holds barred, you know, it was just completely open to our, our vision, you know. So we turned up to the recording studio with the, with a whole load of gear, not many ideas. Um, but an unwavering kind of faith in each other's creative process. And so we just spent the whole day there creating, you know what I mean? And it was just a process whereby it was like, he took the lead, I took the lead. It was like a dance, you know, we were just dancing. And the irony of the situation or the the something that comes to the front is that we came up through dancing anyway. So we have all of these Mm. reference points in terms of our musical identity and creative process that was so it was such a blessing to be able to manifest them in a space that was recorded and that we can kind of share with with the world you know
0: it's the best record like i've been shoehorning it into discussions that are not about this <laughs> record to tell people about it it's wonderful That's so
1: appreciated,
0: man. i'll include a link in the show notes so people can go and check it out and please do uh mm. we should talk about your important records as well so so i'd like to ask about how you thought about the term important when picking this list of three we- records. So was there a way that you understood importance uh, in order to come up with a list of three records that you did?
1: That's deep, man. <laughs> that's deep. That's a deep question, man. That's a deep question for 8 o'clock on the Sunday, man. No, <laughs> um, Three important... You know, absolutely. You know, that's a really great question, you know, because... 'Cause music is important and um this area and space that and blessing of a space that we get to share with each other is extremely important. The lessons that I've learned through music are important. Um, and all of the experiences and opportunities that I've had through music, whether that's listening to music, playing music, sharing music, talking about music, teaching music, learning about music is very important because um you know, music is a grand narrative that kind of speaks to the the truth, the greater truth in the same way that all art forms do, you know, in, in, in spiritually in the same way that religions um, can do as well, you know. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so in terms of picking three important records um, for me, when it came to that, I just, it, and, and it's funny because different things are important at different times. I tried to, I picked one, I think I picked three records that are important for three very different reasons, and maybe I can break that Mm. down as we go through the tracks, but I kind of took it a bit in a different direction with each of the picks now that I think about it, rather than three of the most important in one way.
0: Nice. Cool. Well, whichever one you want to go with first, we can get stuck in, which one? Go well, we've got
1: a, with the one that I heard first, maybe, which was um, Sonny Rollins and the Modern Jazz Quartet. And this record is very important for me because um, it's a record that really kind of consolidated my sense of self within so-called jazz music, you know, Black American music, swing music. Um, and... Sonny Rollins is a figure who, for me, for many years, he kind of intuitively resonated with me. There was something in much intuition that connected me with him that resonated with him. Um, and for so long, I didn't know what that was. And, and this is why, you know, a big part of all jazz musicians are academics as well and researchers and, well, for lack of a better term, you know, geeks. Right, yeah. Um, and kind of this was the first record that I kind of geeked out on. And jazz, especially in the institutions now, there there can be a feeling of, oh, you've got to know all the records, you've got to know all the tunes, you've got to know all the artists, but not from a place of genuine curiosity, from a place of legitimizing your understanding or relationship to the music. Mm. Um, And this was kind of my window into the world of seeing it as a as a family tree rather than a list to kind of work through. Right. And through geeking out on this record, all of a sudden I found connections everywhere. And those connections might be musical connections between different players, you know, researching the, all the players on the record and then who did they play with and such and such like. But also connections like um, the one that I think is the reason why I resonate so much with Sonny Rollins' play. Now, Sonny Wallace was a big part of what his parents were a part of a relatively large migration from the Caribbean into New York and um that we don't really know about when we think about black american people we often think um people who have been in the in, in the americas for you know probably, four, you know, three or uh, in the 50s, you know, you talk about two or three generations worth of freeborn Americans. And then yes. before that, generations and generations of slave, enslaved peoples from from West Africa. But there's a massive, and this is the beautiful thing about the diaspora, it's not a one-size-story fits all. There's all these movements within movements. And I didn't realise Sonny Rallans' connection necessarily. Well, it's obvious now, but at the time, you know, uh, his connection with um the caribbean and his parentage and his lineage and how those musical thing musical um branches even though the roots still go back to west africa have have formed a particular kind of form within the rhythmic code within the rhythmic mm-hmm. communication and that caribbean thing was really kind of resonating with me and you know through researching his story and his lineage i kind of was connecting those dots so that was kind of that geek element of finding out about those things and then after the intuitive thing the consciousness cognitive thing clicks into place and you say oh that's where that's from that's what that connection is that's what that thing is Mm. um and so the first solo that i ever transcribed and transcription is a big part of the jazz ethos maybe you know learning in the same way great authors will read you know tons of books and and in the same way that um great composers will learn the, the works of other other composers, great Western composers and such like, you know. Our form of that within jazz music is maybe something called transcription where you learn the solos verbatim from the record, uh, direct from ear to sax, as it were, you know, which is like um, part of what this art form is about, you know. In the West, we've kind of segregated this kind of, this learning thing of with and and the written form has been put in the middle of that and that's not to say to illegitimize written music but especially within you know institutions and stuff you know our focus towards the written thing is actually separating us from that connection that oral connection of the music and so mm-hmm. transcription as a way of healing that and reconnecting those dots and so i transcribed his solos basically you know learned i think pretty much maybe bar two every solo on the record which is like Um, which was a lot to memorize and stuff but (laughs) it was uh, it was an undertaking you know what I mean but it was a process and it was like and this was just when I dropped out of university and I was like let me just get stuck into this thing and geek out on it and I've studied it's a form of study transcription studied a couple of his records uh, but this was the first album where I said I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do the whole thing. And Mambo Bounce was the first solo that I'd ever kind of uh, that I'd ever transcribed, you know what I mean? And this is back in sixth form and stuff, so um it's a big undertaking, you know. Um, but it's important to me because a lot of my musical language has come through Sonny Rollins, you know, and and I and it's important to me because he plays his sound is part of what brings joy to me and then hopefully, you know, I can transfer that joy onto others, you know what I mean? And through, it's important to me because I found a lot of my, or on earth maybe parts of my identity that I haven't tapped into through checking out his music and checking out this record. And it's important to me because it's just great, great, great musicianship. You know, Sonny Rollins is, in the words of Barry Harris, who we, who we love and who left us a couple of years ago, um, or maybe about a year ago now, he, he says, Simon uh is the perfect cat. And uh, and I think that's because you check out his solos and it's that thing of like, or the way he's playing when he's improvising. And he's improvising inside these harmonic movements, but the way he's doing it with such grace, you know what I mean? That's something mm-hmm. I've learned about recently, it's grace, you know, he's just really in it. and And he took some time away, went on the bridge shedded you know I just really resonate with Sonny Rollins and really have learned a lot through um, checking out his music and, and learning from his records not just musically but also learning about his character and, and his story simply through the notes that he tells because his identity and and sincerity comes across so strong in the way that he plays you know
0: beautiful um, why was this the record that you picked out of the Sonny Rollins canon to geek out on and really get stuck into.
1: Uh, in the in the first instance,
0: yeah, when, I'm, but, but, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'm curious as to yeah why this is the one that really jutted out. Where you're like, right, this is the record that I really want to get stuck into out of Sonny Rollins' yeah. work.
1: I think it's probably one of those things where it's just per chance, you know, in the first instance. Well, let's think about it. In the first instance i had learned mambo bounce when i was in sixth form and then um and then i think i was learning like almost like being in love or something Hmm. and and so i went back to his record and thought oh let me transcribe that solo and then there was another record there was another tune on there where i was like oh let me you know and the whole time listening to the whole record you know what i mean but then i was like oh my gosh i've already transcribed a few of these solos let's just do the whole thing you know what I mean? Mm. And, and it was one of those things where the synchronicity of the time had meant that so many... D- and that was it, yeah. I was We were playing on a slow boat to China with the um Midland Youth Jazz Orchestra. I was like, the only other person I've heard play that is Sonny Rollins on this record. And then oh, I was cool. having lessons with John Toussaint, and he was like, right, we're going to learn a Sonny Rollins blues called I Know. And it was just, <laughs> you know... We- the, the great thing about this music is, you know, we have things, hooks, you know, where you hook with another member of the band and intuitively, you know, two things seemingly, you know, spontaneously kind of just erupt or whatever. It's a similar thing. And that's why I say music teaches you about life, because when, when life presents you with those kind of symbols and signs, you know, you just say, Okay, cool. I'm gonna go with it and see and see what, what happens on the other end. But it was listening to that really and just going, Okay, I'm gonna really, really dig into that. Oh and the and there's a beautiful rhythm changes on there called Nukes Fade Away as well. I mean the whole record is just it's, it's just fantastic, you know what I mean? Really, really, really really top top level top yeah. level music.
0: So good. Um I don't know whether or not this is possible to answer but Having transcribed almost all of those solos on this record, I wonder Uh if there's any in particular that jut out as you were going through that process that were particularly striking or resonant to you for any reason, or that as you think about them now, kind of leap out in your head as holding particular
1: memory. I mean, um, remember bands, but this is really, and this is you know, I was reading a Shabaka Hutchins. Um, Instagram post talking about Sun Ra when he had just passed, and he was reflecting on how Sunrise music really made him reevaluate the idea of subject and object within arts, within um, especially within recorded music. You know, we think of the art as the the object, you know, that we're kind of manipulating or whatever and And actually, we're the one who the transformation is done onto by the mm. artists, you know what I mean even if they're deceased and and their music is only in recorded form and for that reason, you know, I say that Mambo bounce resonates with me specifically, but that's because of the perchance of the situation yeah that, that was that has that kind of emotional heart driven relationship from my perspective, not because it's objectively in any kind of brilliance in comparison to the others. I remember speaking to Jean Toussaint. I asked him the same question about a different Sonny Runnym's record which was called Is it Sonny's time? After the Oh, Sound of Sonny, Sound of Sonny. I said, Jean, what's your favorite tune on the record? Because I was like, if I was like whatever he says, I'm gonna transcribe it. <laughs> and then he said, brother, they're all my favorite I was like, damn, I gotta transcribe the whole of that one, up, you know? <laughs> and uh, and so that was a big lesson for me because really, you know, these whole albums, you know, we have a tendency, especially now to in this reductionist mindset to reduce these to this is a, you know, top, top tracks, top, top album, top this, top that. <laughs> yeah. And actually, you know, it's important to recognize something within the context of the body of work. So mm-hmm. Sonny Rollins, you know, his body of work as a musician from start to finish, but then the body of work of an album, that's a, a great insight into how he is musically at that time, you know what I mean, that particular year or that particular day and stuff. So, and that's one of the great things about jazz music is you're really encapsulating a time because if he would have played exactly the same tunes 10 years later, you know with Don Cherry and, and Billy Higgins you know you never know Charlie Hayden hmm. then um, with that band it would have been like a completely different ball game you know what I mean sonically yeah. you know so so for that reason for me personally you know Mambo Bounce is a beautiful tune and almost like being in love is very very special to me um, In this, I mean they're all, they're all great but that, I, I think that's kind of the that's kind of where I'm at with that
0: You mentioned this time under the bridge not under the bridge as it was on the bridge
1: on the he, bridge yeah
0: yeah where he played for like 14 16 hours a day cuz i heard you talk about that actually in a separate conversation and you kind of drew kind of parallel to your own experience being in lockdown and kind of getting that luxury of time as well which feels in one respect obviously taking the place within the context of like a horrific pandemic but romantic in the sense that you have this time to devote to doing music over those long durations of time. I mean, now you've got a bit of distance, I guess, between that period of time where you were doing music like so prolonged and that intensely. And now, I mean, do you see that period in your own uh, trajectory as being particularly prominent or important? Like, have you had a chance to reflect on what's happened coming out of that experience?
1: I feel like we're only just finally kind of coming to terms with it now. To be honest with you, you know, mm-hmm. I know that I am only just really coming to terms with it. I think you know this this thing that happened was like seismic, you know, and um, and I think we'll be coming to terms with it for the for the rest of our lives, really. You know, these mm-hmm. kind of you know socially, we're not we're, as 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 beings. We're not. That's not how we're designed. Is to is not to be in isolation, but. <laughs> That being said, you know, it's interesting you're talking about the romanticised version of the play of events versus the the other, you know, recognising the catastrophe within it. Yes. And maybe for me it's more about recognising the reality, the different realities, you know. Some of us were very fortunate to be in a reality whereby it was unapologetically this expanse of, of time and space and... um opportunity to connect with with different things. I think for a lot of artists, you know, it was it mm. we always saying, Oh, we need a sabbatical, blah, 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 whatever. And that was a unified experience of that, you know what I mean? But it's mm. not it doesn't come without a cost. Um, and that cost is for personally, within our personal sphere, but then uh, within the context of COVID specifically, you know, a cost that, that we should, shouldn't really have or had to have paid, but that is part of our reality, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, you know, I'm resonating more and more with Sonny Rollins' time on the bridge now and actually how relationship to industry and and these kind of things may have played a factor in, factor in his decision-making and, and how he decided to spend his time because it's, it's very interesting. I mean, similar with similar with someone like Dave Chappelle, you know, turning down 50 million pounds, you know, and just saying, I'm, I'm kind of getting out of here because at the end of the day, a lot of these capitalistic mindsets kind of infiltrate all of the arts, everything where there is industry, you know, everything mm-hmm. where there is commerce, everything where there is money being exchanged. And for me, for example, I'm, I'm harkening back now to a time where I just want to play the saxophone all day, every day. And and actually, it's funny, it's it's strange that as you get and everything is obviously relative. As you get relatively more success, you know those things similarly come come at the cost maybe of a certain level of autonomy, maybe yes. of time, maybe of space, this, that and the other. And so I'm at a time of reconsidering radically, you know, how I decide to engage musically and whether it's time for me to actually take some time out um, to, to re, readjust. I think the key thing for me is to re, um, in vigor the the initial impulses that are drawing me to this music you know mm. uh, so so yeah you know in terms of that bridge thing I'm, it's speaking loud and clear to me right now <laughs> <laughs> I need to go and find myself a bridge.
0: Zozo, let's go to your second important record now. Which one do you want to go for next?
1: Um, let's go with Let's go with Shirley Horn's record, softly.
0: Nice, cool. So, as before, yeah. If you could give me an introduction as to why this one made it on the list, that'd be great.
1: Yeah, I mean, this this is you know within. Um, and within West African traditions, we have, you know, the concept of the griot and of the storyteller and of the jolly, who's also um, a storyteller, kind of a slightly more of a hype man kind of um, storyteller. Um, and with this record of Shirley Horn's, the level of the level of depth in terms of drama and narrative. For me, I've, I've not really come across anything like this record. Um, the use of space within mm-hmm. it, you know, we talk about duality between sound and silence, you know, duality between the musician and the music, the duality between the audience and the performer. In this record, the duality between the space and the event is just it's cataclysmic the way she's playing and singing is just oh. basically on another level of like storytelling and actually that's the key word here i think is the storytelling element of shirley horn's uh musical um you know movement you know the way that she decides to move the music you know with her voice and with her piano playing and I came across this record only a couple of years ago, really and I'm a bit i guess I put this on a record on um, the thing because I knew that I wanted to have a record of a singer specifically because I think I have a particular affinity with singers, and I think singers are important because it's so close to the in the okay if if the drums were the the second instrument, the voice was the first. Mm-hmm. You know, and this mm-hmm. is this is this is kind of this is where it boils down to now is that using the human body to create expression with no uh, mechanics, you know, either Western or Eastern or whatever, to as an interruption or as an interface between them. You know, that purity of expression uh, from intention of consciousness and subconsciousness brought into the world of form um through you know these kind of i mean we could an, analyze it biologically but really it's it's an intention driven thing you know what i mean so it goes much mm-hmm. more into the spiritual realm uh, with that whole singing situation so i singers are important to me because for me they're the ultimate storytellers you know that combination because i think um you know music can do things that words can't and words can do things that music can't and then a singer can kind of do both You know what I mean? Because they've got that kind of capacity. Um, And so I've always been in love with singers. And Shirley Shirley was one that was more recent, kind of came to my attention more recently, you know. And again, you know, doing that kind of geeky um, research situation, finding out that she played opposite Miles so much. um, Playing opposite, meaning she supported Miles Davis's performances, you know, it's so, and, and we talk about lineage, we talk about hearing, and, and it, you know, talking about lineage and talking about, you know, okay, so I'm from Birmingham, for example, and I grew up around many people that spoke with a Birmingham accent, and therefore that has been something that is part of my the resonance of my voice, the way that I interact with people. There's certain codes which Brummies use that um, other people might not use. There's certain ways that we inflect stuff that brings a particular meaning to it. But there's also certain words that we choose um, to navigate certain things to connect with each other and understand each other, which before the BBC radio, you know, was a completely, also a completely different language, you know, Mm -hmm. part of the, tricky thing is now that we're getting into this homogenized kind of situation but that's a that's a different story in terms of kind of lineage of voice the same thing is true within within jazz music so um sonny rollins it was so funny because i started to put we have great technology now i started to put charlie parker records down a uh what would i put it down down a fourth so that is that right? But down a fifth, maybe it's down a fifth, so that um I could learn to play how Charlie Parker played the oh, alto, cool. but on the tenor, you know. So the fingers are the same because they're kind of similar fingering, but in a different register, kind of thing. It's probably the easiest way to explain it. Um, and then all of a sudden, I was hearing Sonny Rollins. It was so crazy because. <sighs> You don't know it until you hear it. You know what I mean? It's like, whoa, it's like when I hear Soweto Kinch playing the tenor. And I'm hearing Lester, and I'm hearing Coltrane, definitely, and I'm hearing Sonny Rollins, particularly, mm. coming through his playing. I'm like, hang on a minute, because they don't hear it when he's playing the alto. And similarly, when I get to play the alto, you know, um, I'm like, oh, Cannonball's in there. Oh, wow, Ornette's in there. I didn't even know these references were in there, you know. Mm. Um and all that to say, you know, when you listen to Shirley, H- Shirley Horn's voice, there is an element of drama and color and texture and timbre and phrasing and space within it that is so reminiscent of Miles. Yeah. The way that Miles plays the trumpet. That breath, you know what I mean. It's also related to breath, of course. You know that kind of breath within the tonality of it. It's just, it's just, it's just breathtaking music. And 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 in a world, I think part of what was drew me to it as well was that uh, in a world of this kind of really quick paced everything, bam bang, bang 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 bang. You know what I mean? It's it's crazy. You can get a meal cooked to your door in 20 minutes, man. That's quick, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's crazy, that's crazy. That's an unbelievable um, feat, you know what I mean? And, and and lots of the world reflects that, you know, hmm. the, the Uber will come to your door in one to two minutes, you know what I mean, depending on where you live. All these things, quick, quick, quick. The tempo that she tackles, particularly um, since I fell for you on that record, is just astonishingly slow. Yeah. And just like, you're just like, oh, you know what I mean? In the same way, you know, people, not like me, because I just waffle, but for people who speak (laughs) in a way that maybe more, you know, Morgan Freeman's a good example of someone who we kind of have as a popular culture reference, leaves that space between the sentences to create that drama, to create that tension, but also to allow the recipient To kind of process it, you know, because jazz Mm. is also, especially now, it's becoming very quick music. And I I can't say that I'm not playing quickly, you know, I'm playing quickly as well. But, you know, within the context of jazz music, you know, this blues thing, and it's not a ballad, because ballads, I think, um, or not to my ears anyway, ballads are kind of different things. Shirley Horn in this is playing, like, the blues at that tempo, and it's just like, oh, you know, it's not necessarily a, a straight blues form, but the style in which or the intention with which she's approaching it is just it's just phenomenal, basically. So that, that record's important to me because it's top level of, like, communication because that's kind of the business that we're involved in is communication mm-hmm. on all levels, in you know, multiple layers. Um, and just thinking about even the, the way that she communicates emotion, spiritual, um, you know, intellectual, whatever, connection, all that stuff, it's just, oh, it's just, it's just unbelievable. It's just, it's just another level, basically.
0: That track, Summer Estate, I think it's called. Yeah. Yeah. I listened to it a few times through, but that's the one that jumped out for me. This is the first time me hearing this record, you picking it for this uh-huh. podcast. But I think what you say there about, I guess, her comfortability within great swathes of time is just so unbelievably apparent during that track where the piano is like playing really really slow spacious chords and she Mm. her voice enters in the absence between two chords which is such an open space that you're like you could easily get lost or not want to assert a rhythm in there because there's nothing there to hold on to rhythmically coming from anywhere at that moment where she decides to enunciate but she does yeah. these like skipping rhythms on that track, which are just what? absolutely unreal. Right?
1: Like, yeah, I, I think you've hit the nail on the head. It's that vulnerability element, and this is why Billy Billy Holiday is the goat because yeah. that level of vulnerability is just like what you know. what I mean, kind of <laughs> just like what's actually going on here because we're because we're so afraid to be that vulnerable with ourselves but mm. some when someone's got that courage it's just like oh it's yeah but honestly man i would one of the things i would recommend is to check out that record and just imagine you're listening to miles and it's like scary because it's like oh my gosh that's miles or you yeah. know it's just really weird it's really
0: weird um i also heard that the trio played these tunes like Through the Night in like a rural Maryland studio and track them until dawn which is like so perfect wow. for the sound of this album too.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds <that's> about right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, you mentioned, I mean you mentioned Billie Holiday for one but you mentioned also as well your affinity for singers. I'm wondering whether this was the record that leaped out instantly or whether there. Were other records maybe you had in the mix that you could have picked in this?
1: I, I think it's, it's... Yeah, it's... I mean, there's there's countless other ones and it's one of those things. It's like, what are you feeling on that kind of day? That's mm. why I had to... I mean, I don't know if it was part of the recorded team, but I had to say to you, what, what, what three did I pick? Because I know that today <laughs> I will pick a completely different three, you know what I mean? Which maybe some people have more of a steadfastness in their thing. But for me, it's like... And, you know, it's and, and, and also knowing that you might come across something because there's Carmen Mc, and, you know, there's so many, you know, Carmen McRae, um, Etta Jones, Ella Fitzgerald, obviously the classic Sarah Vaughan, Billy, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And the Billy, and, the Ella and Louis records, you can't get away from them. And Billy and uh, Perez, you know, there's, 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 you know, there's so, there's so many, there's some, uh, Blossom Dearie another, another great singer in, in my estimation, and 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 the and the more recent ones as well. Cecile McLaren is like Savon. She's not messing around. She's she's really doing the thing. You know what I mean? She's singing and Gretchen also as well. There's there's countless. You know, this was just mm. one that I was just thinking. You know, just to give us a bit of re, re, like also as I say, importance for different reasons. That um, that was kind of why that one. I mean, I could do three just singers. You know. Yeah. I not many of the singers, but well. yeah, so that was kind of, um, that was kind of why I went and lent, lent in that direction. Because love brings such misery.
0: okay so so let's go to your final important record then uh if you could give me the name of it and then again a bit about why it's important to you as well
1: um so this record is uh, for a very different reason this record is is i think very very important um and i think it's very important for diasporic music right now i think it's very important in terms of our identity as 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 black people or people of African descendants, um, especially in a time when a lot of music is coming out and a lot of uh, just great a lot of great black music is coming out, uh, this is Balamaya Projects um, Wallo Soul. The band leader Yahil Onono, I was lucky enough to meet and perform with, um, or to record with, rather. on Soweto we Black Peril album and. Um, Yahil is 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 another level, really, of music, musicianship, of understanding his tradition and his... But well, he's got such a... I mean, he's a polyglot, so he speaks, like, nine languages or something crazy like that. Wow. Um, and his understanding of folkloric traditions... From specifically from Senegal, but also from different parts of Africa, his understanding of the diaspora, of the different codes within different areas, and the different pushes and pulls of different cultures within within Black identities and African identities is really, 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 really profound. You know, we just want to talk about that Griot thing. Um, he's not specifically from a Griot lineage tradition, but. He's, he embodies all of the attributes of, you know, the finest kind of griots, you know, those truth-tellers, those custodians of art forms. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, basically. And so I kind of knew that he was he had started this band, Balamire Project. And I was seeing the band and I said, this is happening. This is the real deal, you know, mm-hmm. in a time when, as I say, especially within this context of the new jazz situation happening, you know, from Southeast uh, London specifically. This band is in a completely different sphere, I would say. And the reason for that is because um, Yahil has created a band that truly represents the music that is being played. He has kora players playing kora lines. Mm. He has dunus playing those drum patterns. He has djembe playing specifically djembe patterns, he has congas playing congas, he has balafon talking drum, and all people of that descendants of that lineage who play in that style or with, with that um, cultural richness and integrity and authenticity fused, fused with the Black British jazz thing. You know, so it's not black British jazz musicians playing a different style necessarily. It's a fusion of cultures. In the band, it's a polyglot band. You know, it's not just him that speaks multiple languages. Some of the band English is not their first language. In fact, some of the band English is not a very strong language for them. And so there's different communication happening within the band at the time time. It's a true form of collaboration. And with that, comes the level of integrity that I've musical integrity that I'm not familiar with. I've not really seen it, you know what I mean? And I'm seeing it because, oh, I don't know if I said, so, so I'd worked with him and then I knew that he was forming this band and I connected with this band. And anyway, I I, p- I pestered him every time I saw him and said, yeah, he I want to play in your band. Yeah, he I want to play in your band. Yeah, he I want to play in your band. Every time, we- I thought, every time I said in yeah, here yeah, I want to play in your band. I want to play in your band, and then and then alhamdulillah the 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 opportunity came for me to play in the band, you know. And I danced a couple of gigs, and now I've been playing m- more regularly with them. And it's not like I want to drop everything and play with this band, but I learn I learn so much every time I engage with these musicians because you've got top 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 caliber players with the same human with equaled with a humility to be able to collaborate and to be able to work together to serve a higher purpose and to serve a music that is much that is rich as rich if not more rich than its composite components you know what i mean so so Balamire project i think they're doing a really important thing right now which is bringing that authenticity of their music of their art form on a, and it's not even unapologetically it's just with a richness of intention you know what I mean there's yeah. nothing passive about the band it's really filled and imbued with the intention of this of of all members involved and, and Balamaya means um, family you know and, and to my understanding the band um, embodies that, that that ethos to a T and and you know family also has its ups and downs you know what I mean we have we have you know this that and the others going on you know what I mean And and we're not as as with all the best bands, same with my bands, you know, we're not impervious to those kind of situations. Um, but the love that is transferred within the band on and off the stage is is another level. I've had some real life defining moments with this band and this ensemble. Um, and, you know, I was talking about Grace earlier, I think, when I was talking about Sonny Rollins' um, approach to his music and his ability to improvise and i think yahil as a band leader leads with a lot of grace you know um but he also has that deep deep level of understanding of his instrument you know which is which can't be overstated you know which isn't necessarily always the case within the context of a commercialized landscape shall we say you know what Mm. i mean yahil the absolute real deal do you know what i mean and so this 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 album is important um because it's representative of the richness of diversity that's found within um his his as essentially his community his family you know the people that he's connected with and therefore he's connected to all of all of us together and stuff so um and and it's important to me as well specifically because you know when I started up in the arts, I started up in Ace Dance and Music, African Cultural Exchange. And a lot of the music and dance, traditional West African dances that we were, you know, performing or learning, you know, this this was the music that accompanied it. So I kind of really resonated with that sound because it was part of my, my childhood and stuff. But rhythmically, it's very deep music. I mean, when someone, you know, when a band is spending, you know, an hour plus just trying to get, a particular groove happening, you know, mm, that's a good sign. Yeah. yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> Because everyone else would just say, oh, that'll do, you know, maybe that's a bit harsh to say, especially within jazz, because jazz has a different relationship, I would say, kind of to rhythm. Um, but, you know, certainly within the kind of conservatoire age of like, oh, that'll do as a composition. It's just a framework for us to improvise it, you know, mm. to get really specific into the groove is something that is rare. It's something that's rare to come by, I think, and 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 it's a humbling experience being in a room with with people whose conception of groove runs as deep as that, you know. And and then when you're seeing that, you know, the Congress which obviously are part of the West African lineage, but really come to that South American Cuban situation, it's like. When when you're when people are playing with such deep grooves, of mm. course it's gonna click. You know what I mean. It won't click if you're playing it in a surface level. If you've yes. got someone playing a surface level reggae thing and a surface level Malian groove and a surface level South African thing or whatever, maybe not. Maybe let's keep it West African, you know. Then it won't groove. But if if they're playing it deep enough, then it's gonna it's gonna click because because the roots are the same, you know. Mm. And that's what happens in this band, basically. So yeah, it's a pleasure to be involved with them. You know, maybe it's a plug, but I mean, <laughs> I don't think it is. Cause I I, I think this is one of this. This one definitely would always have made it onto the list for me because because it is important for what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. I can't overstate that enough. It's, it's so important for what's happening right now. With with my eyes of what's happening, my perspective on what's happening musically in this country, there's a lot of there's a lot of challenges, there's a lot of difficulties, and a lot of that comes with the commercialization of everything, um, and and you know how success shapes the industry and success shapes the way that people interact with music. This is a this is a kind of a one-off, I think, ensemble that can really lead the way for a new relationship. And really open the doors for for people who are actually doing the thing, you know right. what I mean? Because if you can see a commercialized thing where it's like, oh, there's there's jembe players with gigs, you know, there's dunun players who are getting gigs, <laughs> yeah. there's korra players who are getting that thing, who are, who are who are both legitimate musically and who are get, who are being rewarded for that kind of thing, you know, it, it could cha- it could change the whole landscape, you know what I mean? So I think it's really important.
0: Amazing. I'm really intrigued that you played as part of this band as well because I think my experience of listening to the record is just the sheer simultaneity of the sound, it doesn't sound like it's being driven from like a single direction within what you're hearing, it feels like it's all happening at once and now in this really beautifully democratic way, I want to dig in a bit as to like what it was like being in that room and working with Yahil on making this thing happen. Like what was that experience like?
1: Well, it's just a it's amazing, man. You know, it's like it's 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 band, it's, exe- it's exemplary band leading. That's what it is. Mm. And when you see when energetically someone's looking at the thing holistically, he's talking about how to spiritually engage with an audience how to spiritually engage as a band you know how to connect how to create a vibe how to create an atmosphere how to create a a sound how to create a groove how to get people dancing how to make people feel good it's just all of that you know what i mean and it Mm -hmm. comes at an expense it's taxing to band lead at the best of times let alone a you piece, how big the bandits you know. It's it's a it's a taxing thing. So I see it and I say, Wow, this is the this is the standard. This is where this is how, you know, I've been thinking a lot about Valerie Wilmer's book recently. Just the title of it, As Serious as Your Life.
2: Yeah. yeah, that's, yeah the such
1: a good book. that's the game. That's you know, that's the whole thing. It's like and he cares so deeply. That's the thing. He cares very deeply. So um I think exciting things are gonna come for that band, and and we'll see, we'll see what happens. You know, what I mean, I, I, it's um, it'd be interesting to see to see where they go. You know, it'd be interesting to see how they shape 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 not shake things up, but shape things up. Hopefully, so, um, yeah.
0: Well, so, I've got one more question to you, generally mm-hmm. about your relationship with music. I'm intrigued as to how music comes into your life. Like how do you tend to buy music mostly and how do you tend to listen to it?
1: I think in terms of the way that I relate to music, is kind of from this millennial slash Gen Z situation, which is so interesting because... I remember going to master classes at university and stuff and, and the older cohort of jazz musicians would say, you've got it so easy now because you can just stream on all these platforms and you can just Google something and then you just listen to that one track and move on, blah, 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 whatever. And I say, yes, that is the way that our generation engages with music on the whole. But it's got its own challenges, you know, because yeah. they were kind of going with the "woe is me," you know. I can only afford x amount of records, which I completely get. Also, but there's a there's a blessing that comes with that of of really engaging with one record for an extended period of time, you know. Yeah, sure. Which isn't necessarily aligned with the the Gen Z slash um, millennial kind of ethos uh, outlook and stuff. Um, in terms of music consumption, I kind of thought. Slash, think I don't really know what the situation is because I'm not really delved into it too much. But um, that title was slightly better than Spotify or Stopify as Orphe Robinson calls it. So I definitely <laughs> um, stream records, and then and then I kind of if one particular track of a particular record kind of really is resonating with me, I'll put that into like a monthly playlist just for myself, not playlist in the sense of I'll play through them all. Cause it would be a really weird playlist of like, <laughs> it'd be really jarring to listen to, but more like just to archive, you know, what's connecting with me. And mm. then, um, and then the slightly more ethical side of it for me is like, or I should also talk about YouTube is a huge thing for so many people. But right now I'm just like that whole algorithm thing is really bugging me out. So I've just deleted YouTube. But right, I still go in yeah. there every now and again to just kind of, just kind of check in and and see see what see what's happening. Like I was I was checking out this uh, Thelonious Monk thing from Art A R T E dot com or something. is on is on a YouTube thing. It's just a beautiful like behind the scenes thing with him. Um, and then I have a fair few LPs to be honest to do um, that I love and and listen to. Um, and then the other one is, like, I remember Jason Yard. Um, if, if if anyone knows of Jason Yard, he's amazing alto like, saxophonist who's been an amazing contributor to the scene, um, who, unfortunately, this year, he's doing okay now, but he suffered from a stroke. Um, yeah. So if anyone's – just a big shout-out to his team because they're doing a whole fundraiser for that. So if you type Jason Yard stroke fundraiser or something, I think they've got a GoFundMe. They're doing really well at the moment, but all support is – is um is appreciated but mm-hmm. it was so funny because i spent some time with him last summer and he does this thing called trading cards his his albums he tells this is this is um, some like trading cards so i've <laughs> kind of adopted that thing a little bit now so i mean you're supposed to be making money off these record things but i'm actually just trading them so i can see oh, cool. that that a Begy one is is i've got three of them um, hiding under a Robert Mitchell record because I did a gig with him and Mark Sanders the other day. And so I traded him um, some LPs for some LPs and stuff. And, and if I go to a gig and I really like the music, then I will always buy a buy a CD, you know? And, that, and that's funny because like, I remember I did a gig, I watched a gig at the Spotted Dog in Birmingham and this band played, similar to the Balamayas thing. I was like, oh my God, this band's amazing. I bought all their CDs. And then three or four years later, i got asked to death in the band and i've been with them ever since and no stuff. So way
0: that's so it's cool it's funny
1: how these it's funny how these scenes these things kind of happen but that was a funny one because i just because i remember buying the cd and i was like man i remember buying the cd and then uh, Lord's forgiving me I, d- I didn't really listen to it so much to be honest because it was more <laughs> of a live but you better believe me when i say i listened to it before we started playing again because i need <laughs> hard hard music you know nice But there's so much music. Oh my gosh. That's the other thing. There's so much music out there. I think Mm -hmm. the thing is just like with Sonny Rollins, maybe it's better for me to talk about that. Sonny Rollins, I was just listening to one record over and over again and then through that record, finding other records. So don't rely on the algorithms to, I know this is not an advice channel, but my thing is don't wait for the algorithms to tell you to what to listen to actively with intention, decide how and what music you're going to engage with, you know. Mm,
0: yeah, for sure. Uh, it's nice you talked about the trading cards thing because, again, I guess that's a form of human mediated discovery of music and yeah. music acquisition as well. Which, you know, when you talk about, you know, people saying, Oh, you got it easy now, like having your music recommendations be predominantly <laughs> coming from algorithms is
1: very stifling and not great for. You oh know, it's not good at anyone. all man you know yeah we really gotta sort this whole situation out the other book i would recommend is that jaron lanier turn arguments to the De- to delete your social m- media accounts right now right and it starts yeah. to sound like a tinfoil hat person but <laughs> at the end of the day it's it's no joke man you know it's really and i'm even at the point of now thinking oh do i have to be on all this you know i don't have to do anything you know what I mean it's just what you decide to give up but the in the industry is like you have to do this that and the other and you're just thinking well what if that's not good for me
0: yeah absolutely you know what I
1: mean so it's just so it's just so interesting but I think everyone needs to reestablish on what terms they engage with the things that they engage with or certainly I need to do that and so maybe (laughs) maybe that's something that we all need to kind of look into a little bit
0: absolutely wicked well it's been awesome i've loved these three records as i've said already i think your new record is fabulous um thank you once again
1: perfect man pleasure 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 look forward to look forward to chatting on the next one
0: (laughs) (laughs) and to everyone listening see you next time goodbye